Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Hagan, for our final episode of 2020. Whew, the grand finale. Couldn't come soon enough. My God, it has been such a year. You know, you and I talked about, let's review some of the things that we listened to and watched and experienced, you know, stories we might have read or what have you, kind of a, you know, year in review. And as I went through, looking through things, there was so much... um memory and emotion attached to every little thing. It was like uh, remembering these little uh, sort of micro chapters in the, you know, uh, quarantine uh, months. And then how the times before that seemed like two years ago, right? It was just a warp of time. I I honestly don't even remember what I did for the first two and a half months of the year. It's crazy to me. I'm pretty sure, like, I think Michael Avenatti's trial was in 2020, right. which yeah. honestly, if you were to ask me what year it was, I would probably say like 2017. I It feels so long ago, but that stuff happened in 2020. That is not going to make my list for, for one of the best moments of 2020, but uh, we have a lot to cover. And <laughs> so I, think, much to cover. I think that because we are headed into a little bit of a holiday break where most people mm. probably aren't traveling or doing anything super exciting this is a great opportunity for us to review some things that maybe other people can tune into over this little holiday period or or take into next year because the reality is for a little bit we're all going to be home and we're all going to need things to consume so if this can give anybody something to do we are here for you and also send us your your recommendations back but joe yeah yeah let's just send them our way we want to get here are the things we're going to get a little conversation going I love it. So why don't we start off with some of the best things you read in 2020. Now, this can be books. Mm. This can be articles. This can be tweets. Uh, Honestly, Uh, anything, texts, anything counts. There were a lot of funny tweets and texts. Um, You know... I a couple of great books that I read this year actually brought the authors onto Inside the Hive, which was a nice thing to be able to do. A couple of weeks ago, we had Rick Perlstein on here talking about Reagan Land. Um, earlier in the year, I had this historian Peter Fritchie on talking about Hitler's first hundred days. Now, those were, you know, a little bit related to the news, and so not in the ledger part of the ledger that's uh, positive. But I, you know. Our editor, Radhika Jones of Vanity Fair, part of on her Twitter handle, handle she says uh, that she's an avid rereader, mm. and I did a lot of rereading this this year um, myself. And uh, one of the highlights was actually an audio book of uh, True Grit, the Charles mm. Portis uh, book, which also became a movie, and it's read by Donna Tart. 
um, who people cool. may also know is a great Southern novelist. And it's what was one of the great experiences was sitting there listening to her with this wonderful accent and, and listening to her. And I actually listened to the last few chapters of it um, while sitting by a fire pit outdoors. I just brought my little Bluetooth speaker out, which is, turns Ugh. out is a thing you can do. And just uh, it was almost like being by a campfire with a great storyteller, which is like a kind of a something I would recommend uh, to people. As I love but, that. Uh, so yeah, that was a, a a top a top one, and I'll just name two others real quick. I read um, Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders' a memoir, Reckless, mm. which came out a few years ago. So awesome, really an amazing book. Um, and then the rereading I did also was George Orwell's uh, Down and Out in Paris and London. If you've not read it, highly recommended. Beautiful book. Um, and these were things that you know helped distract me from. Even the things that you and I generally pay attention to on a on a week to week basis. You feel I feel like you gave me. I didn't read any of those, so I'm mm. very much looking forward to now putting them on my list. So, in terms of books, this year I feel like was the year of the audiobook for me. I had never listened mm. to an audiobook before, which I I'm obviously so far behind, but it just was not my thing. I love to read. Um, but this year I started uh, listening to books when I was running because I just like, I was having a little bit Great of a hard idea. time listening to music when I was running. You know, your brain is going a lot. So this this kind of helped me stick to something. Mm. I have a hard time listening to fiction. I, I like to listen to nonfiction. So I listened to a couple of great audio biographies mm. and I loved them. Okay. You got a real high and low mix. The most recent one that I listened to was Joe Biden's book about his son, Bo. Oh, guys, mm. it was just a delight. It's very sad. Don't get me wrong. And if you're going to listen to it while you're running or while you're in public, just know that you'll probably be sobbing while you're running down the street, which is uh, one way to kick up your workout. It definitely gets the cardiovascular system going. If you're wearing a mask, they might just think you're allergic to something. It could be a little bit confusing or concerning to people who pass you, but I believe that it's called Promise Me, Dad. And and that's on my reading list. Read it. Because I, of Honestly, you. Yeah. I recommend, Joe and I, I, I know we talked about this before, doing a little bit of a Biden book club uh, as we prepare yeah, for we our incoming it. president. I think that should be number one. I will not say anything more about the book because I would love for as many of you guys to read it, Joe, you especially, and we can kind of spend some time going through it because not only is it a real stunning portrait of him as a father, which I think explains so much about who presidents are uh, and who, who yeah. they are in their DNA and who they are as leaders and all of that. But it was a really interesting, intimate look at some of the moments in uh, particularly the second Obama term and his relationship with President Obama and a lot of the things that Joe Biden was in charge of in that administration. So it was a really interesting kind of a backdoor into the story of him as vice president. But I learned a lot, even though um, I was technically an intern of his in the White House during that second term. Um, I, I just like learned a, a lot and it's a very different perspective and I totally recommend it. It's also, he reads it and I love listening to people who read their own audiobooks. Um, the two other audiobooks that I'm going to recommend, they're also uh, read by their authors. Uh, one was Jessica Simpson's audiobook, 
which <laughs> I know we've talked about on this podcast before. Just I read know. it. Just just listen to it. <laughs> Truly a delight. Uh, even if you think you won't like it, you will like it. I promise you that. My poor... And well, anyone who I've basically talked to over the last six months, I've I've sung its praises and and I've convinced many people who would not necessarily be the kinds of people who would be attracted to it to read it, and they've all thanked me. Same goes for Rob Lowe's audiobook. It is, it's just candy, and the way he tells stories. There's definitely like a convention to it. Um, there's like a great story and a little hidden reveal at the end of each of them. But this is a guy who had such a long career in Hollywood and he met everyone and knew everyone. And I just really, really enjoyed it. So those three, if you want to have a listen over this next stretch or if you want to read them, I highly, highly recommend them. They were just so entertaining in very different ways. And the one piece of fiction I'm going to recommend is... Um, a book called My Dark Vanessa, which mm. is unsurprisingly dark. Uh, it's about a teacher's relationship with a student. Um, but I will say I have had a really hard time reading fiction over the last four years. It's been really, really hard to turn my brain off long enough mm. to, to really get into a fiction book. I've started so many books and I just can't get through them. Yeah. And I'm such a voracious reader usually. This from the first page hooked me. So, who's the author? Joe. Uh, why did I ask you that? I, well, well while you're I... looking that up, I'm going to say that. Um, first of all, let's make it official here. We mentioned this Biden book club idea. Yes. I think that our listeners would love this. So, let's start to think about that. We're going to start with Promise Me Dead. That's the book that we're going to start reading, and we're going to make that a rolling part of our conversation here on Inside the Hive. Totally. And I think you, dear listeners, should get involved in that. I think we could all learn a lot from it, and that's going to sort of add in a whole kind of um, emotional um, you know, subtext and narrative to everything that's about to unfold in 2021. Couldn't agree more. My Dark Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth Russell, obviously. How could I not remember <laughs> well, that? Good. But I highly you know, recommend. Are it. you like me? Like I, I have like piles of books all around, and I treat them almost like yeah, I'm eating in Spain. You know, it's just like a, <laughs> I'm just tapas eating. I just I go through. I read like a chapter here, a chapter there, and sometimes I'll make it to the end. Often I won't, but it doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I still enjoy the little pieces that I bite off. No, I am the exact opposite. I actually like until maybe like three years ago, I would never not finish a book, even if I hated it. Just wow. I just couldn't do it, and I would suffer. So committed. Well, it's stupid. Yeah. I would suffer, yeah. and I finally gave my permission to not make myself suffer <laughs> anymore. Well, there you go. But, but I will say, I don't like reading multiple things at one time, unless I have to professionally. I kind of like to just get in and get out. I'm a very fast reader, and in the days when I used to have to commute, I would read a book a week, even though my commutes were short, uh, every time I was on a train or um, even walking down the street, which sounds very dangerous, it probably was very dangerous, Careful. I would just be reading because I, I love it. I'm glad you're on the audiobooks now. Exactly. Now it's a whole new thing. Also, I don't walk anywhere because I'm in Los Angeles and that's like illegal here. Um, <laughs> but when I used to live in a city where people actually used their legs, it was... Right. I remember walking down the street. Did you ever read the book by Carol Radziwill called? Oh, I'm terrible. This is the problem. I read on a Kindle. Google Brain. 
I read on a Kindle, and so you don't have the title in front of you. Mm-hmm. What Remains by Carol Radziwill. Gr- another recommendation, oh. but I read it many, many years ago. It's She was married to Anthony Radziwill, who was JFK Jr.'s first cousin. Sure. She was best friends with Carolyn Bissett, um, and both Anthony Radziwill and, and Carolyn and JFK Jr. all died within months of each other, and... It's, it's a stunningly beautiful book and you're gripped and it's personal and she's a wonderful writer. She's a former journalist, a former Real Housewife of New York. Just putting that out there. Mm. But I was so enthralled Bonus. by this book. I remember walking. I lived in uh, just above Soho at the time. And I remember walking down Houston Street, reading the book on my phone because I think my Kindle died and just like paging through. I couldn't stop. Reading and walking, which is very dangerous, but I miss those times. I'm very excited that I am now back in a place where I can read fiction again. This is Inside the Hive. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Can we just talk about, I don't know if there's any articles that stuck out in your brain this year. Obviously, everything you wrote is instantly top of my list, particularly your Colbert profile. I thought it was fantastic, and it was a cover of the magazine, the most recent cover, so everyone should go check that out. Uh, and, and so many of, of the things that our colleagues at Vanity Fair wrote were just perfect. Um, but can we just talk about one thing that came out this week that just instantly felt like, oh. I know, and you know what I'm going to say. Why do the, I think the, I know what you're going to say? Because there's only one thing to say, but the second I, I read it, I was like, this is iconic. And it is the piece that I think I will remember most from 2020. It is an article that was in Elle magazine. And it was written by a reporter named Stephanie Clifford, who used to work at the New York Times. And it was about a woman named Christy Smith, who was a former Bloomberg News reporter. And her relationship with pharma bro Martin Shkreli. Uh, It was sent to me by a former editor of mine. And I gasped because even before I read a single line, when I saw the headline, I covered that case, right? And I know oh. Christy from covering that case. And right. like, I had no idea they were in a relationship. I was so shocked because I, I know the parties involved and I, I've never in real life heard of a reporter having a, a real relationship with a source like that. And this I'm not going to spoil anything about the story because there is a twist at the end that you just couldn't see coming. It's so perfectly written. The tone 
is perfect. You will have opinions about the people involved. Your opinions may vary from my own. It's just, it's really an incredible story. It's, it's I read really the Q&A sad. with uh, yes. with Stephanie today. So I'm working my way back into backwards because I read a Q&A about the making of it. That's how much people wanted to know about it. Um, and so I have it to look forward to, and I'm very oh, excited to Joe. read it. Um, because I saw the Twitter mania around this. It was eaten alive, this story. or People loved it. I will so, say that generally, um, I, I can't think, wait to read it. Yeah, I think that usually Twitter overblows things. This was like underblown. This was, it's more delicious than you could imagine. I just have one thing to say about it that really bothers me. And I want to get it off my chest. And I don't think it spoils anything. I w- I'm going to try really hard not to spoil anything for you, Joe, or for anyone listening. Um, the thing that really bothers me about the whole thing is as a female reporter who has covered male figures, pretty with the exception of Ivanka Trump, I pretty much exclusively cover men. And I cover the same people a lot. So you develop relationships with these people. All of them are professional. And I think that every female reporter who I know who does the same is very, very clear about these lines and these boundaries. And it wouldn't even enter your brain for it to be otherwise, right? But I still get so many comments on my Twitter, on my stories, personally, that suggest otherwise that how could you as a young female reporter get all these scoops you must be in a relationship with these people you must something must be tawdry there and people say this in a much meaner much more Mm. crass way it's constant it's been constant over the last few years and it's disgusting to me and it's so demeaning it's so sexist it's so disrespectful to the work I actually do. And so when something like this actually happens, I'm like, fuck, this actually gives credence yeah. to people who think that they have relate. People have relationships with their sources. So most people don't have relationships with their sources. Don't tweet at me that you think I'm having a relationship with my source. It's not happening because there are ethics and I would never want to have any relationship with my sources anyway, even if it were ethical, which it's not. So, uh, read the story. It's very interesting, and it brings up a lot of interesting ethical questions, too. Well, and uh, one of the interesting and most notable things about it is that uh, it's not about that other guy. Yes. It's almost, you know, where we've finally gotten to a point where we can be enthralled and involved and interested in a story that has nothing to do with that other guy. And so I'm just delighted to go have something to read that's not about that. Couldn't agree more. Is there anything that you read that is really stuck in your brain? You know, I have to say that my brain, when I tried to think of what I had read this year, it just was like a rolling, you know, uh, kind of uh, conveyor belt of horrible news stories. And so I'm sad to say that I can't off the top of my head remember um, I mean, this amazing journalism was done that I read, uh, but it's about that guy. And so I don't want to really review it with you because it wasn't like a pleasure thing. Pass. You know, it wasn't like a positive pass. I'm going to say pass. Pass. Okay. Well, then let's go into what we watched this year. Talk to me about the movies, the videos, the shows that you sure. just devoured. 
Okay, well, first off, I'm a big devotee of the crown. And Ugh, that's first on my list. A lot of people are. That doesn't make me novel or interesting. But I, I, I will say this about it, is that the pace of it and the complete absorption in a world that has nothing to do with the one we're living in was such a um, relaxing... It was a relief to watch this this show. And every episode felt like it was longer than it was in a good way. It was as if you could watch an episode of it or two, and it would just vacuum up entire evenings and feel like every minute of it was like a, a kind of um, a massage, if you know what I mean, mm. to be in this other world. And it was really beautifully acted, and it looked gorgeous, right? It's so beautiful looking. And it was just, um, you know, pure pleasure. It was pure pleasure. Couldn't agree more. So uh, other than The Crown, uh, I watched The Mandalorian, which is kind of a cheesy Western at the end of the day with sci-fi thrown in. But my kids were all into it. So it was the one thing we could all watch together and agree on. And it was extremely enjoyable and i'm from like the star wars generation mm. grew up with that so i'm completely i noticed all the details and could tell the kids about it and for once they were interested in something i said so that was great um so you know those were the two main things and then i will also mention that i was lucky enough earlier this year to have sort of a um there was a, a friends and family screening of a movie that's going to be coming out. And I just want to tell people that I saw it and that I can recommend it for the future. Fancy. You know, recently, uh, HBO Warner Brothers said they're going to, you know, stream all the movies they would ordinarily put into the theaters. And that was kind of controversial. Well, one of them was In the Heights, which is uh, the new Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, um, it's a Broadway show that's been made into a movie. And it was directed by John Chu of crazy, crazy rich Asians fame. And I got to see it and it's really great and so uplifting and just the thing that we're going to need in 2021. So that's sort of a future review. Um, so when that comes out later on, you'll be streaming it. Maybe you'll be wishing you were in a movie theater, but you know, turn the volume up and do the best you can and uh, enjoy that. So I got to enjoy that. And that's the other thing I'll mention. Oh, fan first of all, fancy. Second of all, mm. I saw In the Heights on Broadway many, many, many years ago. Oh, yeah. So you know. It is so great. If you love Hamilton, there's no way you will yeah. not love this. Oh, and you're gonna and be into it. Yeah. if you're a little bit sick of Hamilton or maybe you've just had your fill of Hamilton, you'll get the same kind of jolt of energy with a whole different story instead of cast of characters. I'm very excited to see it. I can't wait. I can't echo what you said about The Crown enough. It was easily the best thing I watched in 2020, the fourth season. I had seen the others, but uh, Lee had not. So we actually started from the beginning and had a whole oh, marathon. It was, mm -hmm. uh, honestly, on second viewing, I liked it even more. So loved it. The other things that we watched that I loved, I know I talked about on the show before, but I loved I May Destroy You. We loved yes. Euphoria. Which was, I don't know that with three daughters, I don't know that I could watch it. Like, if I were no, you, no, it's I'm the not one sure that I was trying to prevent my thirteen-year-old from watching. She kept wanting to watch it, and I kept saying no. Would you recommend it for thirteen-year-olds? Oh no, no, she cannot watch it. As as an auntie, I will I will say <laughs> no to your thirteen-year-old watching it. Um, 
like absolutely no. I I had a hard time watching it. We could only like for the first few episodes, we had to pause it a lot because I needed like a breath. But it ends up it, it gets you and it's beautifully done and incredibly acted and it's great. Um I know we've also talked about it before here, but the Great British Bake Off has been a saving grace for us. Though we're now at the point of catching mm. up where the hosts have changed and it just has lost a little bit of its magic without Mary and without the two women judges or, or hosts. So I don't know. We also um, have gotten really back into Top Chef. So I, I highly recommend those. It's a great little escape mm. and has been super enjoyable for us. Um, we're kind of now, I feel like we yeah. may start Downton Abbey, which I think is like our one big cultural show that we have not watched. And there's like enough of it to really wow, sink Wow, you're in for a lot there. Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. the plan. I'm, I'm doing. I have there. to do a little bit of. I have to do a little bit of convincing, but I think I've managed. This is inside the hive. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, "Oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect." Her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to me about what you're listening to. I trust your musical taste implicitly, so give me all the recs. Um, Okay, well, you know, my favorite record of the year was by Bill Callahan. Have you ever heard of Bill Callahan? I have. He has a record called Gold Record. He's always been one of my favorites. I love him, but he put it on an album and it got totally lost because it came out in September. Can you imagine anybody putting out anything in September? I mean, it was like the election madness just swallowed it whole. And it's sad that it didn't get any attention, but it was a fantastic record and a great late night listen uh, that will, he's got this beautiful, relaxing voice, very low, you know, and he kind of, as if anybody just goes out and looks up the song P- Pigeon, which is the first track off that record, you'll, you'll get it immediately. It's sort of in a, in the Johnny Cash register uh, of voice. You know, one of the things I discovered this year that was really fantastic, Radio Garden. You ever heard of Radio Garden? So if you go on the internet to radio.garden, it's a giant map of the world that you can kind of travel around on, on your screen. And it has every single radio station in the world. And you can hone in on the dots all over the world and listen to any radio station in the world. And it's magic. It's magical. You can go to the, you know, the middle of Greece and find some little island and then go listen to their radio station. I have heard of this. I'll tell yes, you, there is yeah. there is a bar in Los Angeles, or there was a bar in Los Angeles. I still hope it exists. Um, I'm sure you have heard of the Chateau Marmont here, yes, but there's a little I've offshoot right around the corner from it called Chateau Honoré, and it's a little Japanese whiskey bar. 
and they have great food and it's small. It actually feels like decidedly not Los Angeles to me. And uh, it's close to where we live. And uh, in the before times, they used to use that. And so the music was incredible and it would be from all different places around the world. And it was awesome. So yes, I do know this and it's, I couldn't recommend it more. Yeah, it's been a kind of like a way to get outside of your world if you're, you know, trapped in an apartment or a house somewhere and during these quarantine times and you want to plug into something else going on in the world. It's kind of a fantastic way to do that. I mean, you can go to like North Africa and listen to talk shows, which you don't really know anything about what they're talking about, but it's almost like, wow, the world is still going on. It still exists and it's kind of a refreshing thing. I um, love that. So, yeah, I mean, I listened to that a lot during this year and um, you know, uh, one other thing I'll mention that, uh, is that I was looking on Spotify, you know, it tells you your top 2020 yes. listens. And when that came out, I was a little bit surprised by what the top song was for me. And, uh, you know, it's like, you'd think I was some sort of like, um, well, peg, it pegs me probably correctly as a jazz fogey, but it was this Duke Ellington song called All Too Soon. Mm. And this is a little bit of a personal aside, and I hope you'll just let me have it for a minute here. I just, you know, you and I had this, uh, one thing that really marked our year, it was the loss of our editor, John Homans. And uh, that was a big deal for everybody at at the Hive and at Vanity Fair. But um, he was a great jazz pianist. And uh, I was lucky enough to get to hear him occasionally when when I would hang out at his apartment. And um, in his... Um, sort of last days, I was texting him back and forth with music because that was the thing we related on. And because he was a jazz pianist, I would send him songs. Um, and, uh, you know, and he would, I think that he listened to them. He had earbuds in the hospital and he would listen to them. So, but, you know, he was sort of in and out of his meds and it was hard to know how much of it was getting through. But, but there was one song that um, I never did send him. And the reason I didn't send it to him is because the title was just too uh, emotional to for me to send. And the title of the song is All Too Soon. And it was by, it's by Duke Ellington, and it's just a piano piece. And, um, and while it never got through to him, it was a big deal for me. I listened to it a lot. It was almost like a song that I listened to to kind of... Uh, kind of commune with this, these feelings that were very difficult and to try to get through them. And um, I hadn't planned on bringing that up, by the way, but I just, uh, you know, it was a thing that really marked our year and it was kind of healing for me in some ways. It was a way for me to kind of commune with this thing that represented him. You know, I'm glad that you did bring it up and I think that the universe is probably involved in it in some way because... Uh, you and I suffered that loss and there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around this country who have suffered losses this year, um, both coincidental and because of the state of the world right now. And that is a song that I am sure we can all listen to and find a reason to connect to it, unfortunately, this year. And whether that means you are contemplating a chair at your Christmas or New Year's tables this year that would have been filled, um, a person in your phone who you would have called, um, whether it just means you're 
sorrowful for all of the collective mourning we are doing as a nation and as a world. Everyone has something to be thoughtful about this year and someone to miss. Um, and yeah. I think it's such an important thing. I think you and I both feel this this way about music. Um, and I know that when as soon as we end this this recording, I'm going to go listen to that and, and carry that with us into the next year. Honestly, I think that's the note to end on. I feel like let's just all listen to that song, take that forward as we close out our final week in 2020. And we have so much to um, be contemplative about, but we have so much to look yeah. forward to. And we have tough stuff ahead, I know, but I also think we have a bright future on the horizon. And let's just keep chugging away towards that horizon. I think that's a a, a beautiful um, sentiment, and I also am, um, you know, feeling really uh, like we've gone through so many passages this year, and uh, I think some of our listeners uh, have gone through them with us, obviously, and it's been so great to share it with you. I've been so uh, happy. We've developed a friendship and a, and a partnership in this podcast. And it was sort of a shotgun thing. And it was actually put together by John Homans. Uh, he was the one who cast us, so to speak. And, um, you know, in a way, uh, to, to whatever degree we can make uh, this podcast great in 2021, it will be sort of the, you know, the, the, the kind of, um, flower, uh, that he planted here. And, um, I'm really uh, excited about our Joe Biden book club. And Agreed. it's those kinds of fun ideas that I think John Homans would have loved. And uh, he certainly would have been there with us on it. So um, to you all listening out there, thanks for you know sticking with us and watching us go, go through all of this and go through it with us. And you're going through your own thing. And, you know, uh, this has been a year. And uh, I fe I'm feeling really great about the reset button that we're going to hit on January 1st and January 20th, if we're being technical about it. And uh, I'm excited. So um, happy new year, everybody. Cheers to John, to all of you. Happy, merry, everything. And we will see you in 2021. See you there. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And love was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin Ross. And this is The Burden. 
Listen to new episodes of The Burden starting March 19th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.